Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The God Factor by Pastor Sean Wood. I don't think God's finished here this morning. I think there's certainly people that God is still doing a work on. If you've got your Bibles, we're, we're going to begin our Exodus series today uh, in the uh, in chapter 1 of Exodus, if you make your way there, I'll pray before we do. Father, we thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to lift your name together as a body. And as we come around your word, may you open our spiritual eyes and ears. Ezekiel says, the Lord spoke to me, and as he spoke, the Spirit entered into me. That's our prayer this morning, that you would speak to us. And as you do so, that the sweet Holy Spirit would fill us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. While you're making your way to uh, Exodus chapter 1, some people will know, in Tasmania, I used to play football. And uh, the team we were playing for at the time uh, was struggling, but we had our ups, we had our downs, we were were losing more than we were winning, and... uh, we were beginning to get a little bit low in our morale. We'd, we'd come from a good place. We played the quarterfinals the year before, but this season had been particularly hard. Our good players had begun to succumb to injury. One of them was a guy by the name of Robert Oggie Ogden. The only way I can describe Oggie Ogden is if you've seen the movie Shrek. He's the green guy on Shrek. And... Uh, I still have a vivid picture of uh, playing football at St Mary's, which is one of the coldest places on earth. It's very close to Antarctica. Uh, and I can still remember kicking the football into the forward line and watching Oggy running out of the goal square with three backmen hanging off his back as he takes the mark. Uh, nothing could stop him. And for us, although he had succumbed to injury, uh, Oggy was the kind of player that everybody else looked in the newspaper to see if he was named. The opposition team was like, I wonder if Oggy's playing. And, and all of them would look at the door of the change rooms to see if they could see Oggy getting changed in there. And uh, although we'd had a bad run, I can still distinctly remember that when Robert Oggy Ogden was on our team, it changed our confidence it changed a lot of stuff. Quite often, he was the deciding factor. We used to call it the Oggie factor. <laughs> when Oggie was on the field, we had an expectation. We often won what we should have lost just because Oggie was there. The good thing about Oggie, particularly if you're in the forward line, was he took all the backmen, so you had nobody opposing you because everybody needed to be on Oggie. And today, as we come around God's word, and as we have a look at the story of God's people. Uh, Many people today may have algebraic formulas and programs. Many people may have ideas in their mind about the people of God, but so many people today, like a very evil and wicked Pharaoh, have forgotten the God factor. Today, as we begin to have a look at the continuation of the story of God's people, I want to introduce you today to the God factor. And And we could be facing all the opposition in the world today. And and in some respects, we are. And and I don't know what your individual life looks like, but I believe there's a message this morning for the church, and I think there's a message for individuals here this morning. It's time for us to remember the God factor. 
What did that look like for God's people? And maybe what lessons can we learn and what does it look like for us today? If you've, if you found Exodus chapter one in your Bibles, English translations will start something like this. These are the names of the sons of Israel, but there's a really important word that's missing. It's there in the Hebrew, but most, if not all of the English translations miss this word. The very first word of the book of Exodus is the word and. Moses wasn't educated in our schools where we were told you don't start a sentence with the word and, but it's there in the Hebrew and it's there for a very good reason. This is not a whole new book. This is the continuation of the story and the account of the people of God. And the word and is there because it's continuing on from the book of Genesis. We all know about the book of Genesis. We we work our way through the first chapters. We're, we're introduced to Noah, a great Boatsman? We didn't have much of a choice, did he? Earlier this year, he sent his regards with all the rain that we were having, but we move our way to chapter 12 and we're introduced to a man by the name of Abram, who would later become Abraham. And from Abraham, we know, comes Isaac. And from Isaac, we know, comes Esau and Jacob. And from Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. And 70 people settle in Egypt. And we're not going to read all the names this morning, but let's just pick it up at verse 6 of chapter 1. It says, Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And we know what how Genesis ends, right? It ends with the story of Joseph. It ends with Joseph who through much tribulation and much affliction would become, for better word, the Prime Minister of Egypt. It was because Joseph was elevated to that position that the people of God didn't die in the famine, but provision was made. There's a common phrase in the life of Joseph that we're going to be introduced to again today. It's the phrase, it just so happened. As we continue to look at the story of God's people, I hope one thing we draw out of it today is that There is no such thing as coincidence in the household of God. We know that Joseph, who is in Egypt and living a very comfortable life, he gives firm instructions at the end of Genesis 50. He gives firm instructions to the people of God and says, when God brings you up out of here, when God visits you and brings you up out of this place, he says, don't forget my bones. What Joseph was telling the very small Israel and the people of God then was, you might be comfortable and prosperous right now, but this isn't the place God's got for you. That God's promises hold so much more for you, and we are introduced to that right now. Not only were they, they settled as 70 people, but they've grown. They've, uh, they've grown to multitudes. But it's interesting that when God was making a covenant with Abraham, uh, talk about a pep talk in the coach's box, right? Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I will make you a father and a multitude of a great nation, but you will be in a land that is not yours and you will suffer and be afflicted. 400 years. Well, good morning to you too. Before we go any further, the most important thing we need to know about the people of God right now is we're going to read some stuff that's hard to swallow, but what we need to know is every single person of God, the people of God in Israel, are right where God wants them. And sometimes that's hard to swallow. 
but they're right where God wants them. Let's read on now. We, we, we know that Israel has begun to uh, multiply exceedingly. They're very comfortable, but the message to the people of God, I believe the message to many people in this room today is you might be comfortable, but you're not where God's taking you. You're not in the place that God's prepared for you. There's, there's people here that God wants to take you to the place that he has prepared for you. So often we settle, don't we? So often we think, well, it's comfortable here in Egypt. And as we discussed last week, that God delivers his people out of Egypt and then spends 40 years trying to deliver Egypt out of his people. Verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph had amassed such a great reputation and favour. Isn't it interesting how uh, if, if, you, if Joseph did have a headstone, If you were going to inscribe anything on the headstone of Joseph, it would read something like this. God is with him. The whole whole story of Joseph is such and such happened, but God was with him. Such and such happened, but God was with him. He finds himself in the bottom of a pit, but God was with him. He finds himself falsely accused and put in jail, but God was with him. And have a look how God worked through Joseph in such an evil place. Verse 9, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. We're going to come back to those two words. Nothing's changed in many thousands of years. Nothing has changed. Lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. What is Pharaoh's problem here? What is he worried about? He's worried, you know what? These guys are so many. These guys are strong. If one of our enemies come in, they might fight with them. But what they're really worried about is, you know what? There's a possibility here these guys could completely alter and change the way of life that we have. We live in a generation today, it's interesting how nothing's changed. We live in a generation today whose major major concern about the church is, they'll change my way of life. We don't want to hear what the church has got to say. We We don't want to hear what the people of God have got to say. Why? Because if we listen to them, they'll change our way of life. We we want to have all of God and all of our sin at the same time. We don't want to be told that these things are right or wrong. We don't want to be told there's absolute objective truth. We live in a society that's relative. If it's true for you, then it's true for you. If that's moralistic for you, then that's moralistic for you. How did that work out in World War II, by the way? When a group of people decided that what is right for us is what we're going to do. What Egypt's worried about is our way of life is under threat. Today, it's no different. So what does Egypt do? They decide we need to deal shrewdly with them. And that's a really interesting phrase. But to deal shrewdly basically means to mistreat somebody, but by an artful and cunning practice. So this isn't a full frontal Blitzkrieg assault right now. This is uh, what, what we read here, if we read on, it says, verse 11, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens, uh, and they built for them uh, for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But I love this phrase, verse 12, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. 
That word oppressed means to, to bring low. That word oppressed means to push down. And, and we live in a time today when everybody would like to push the church down. We, we, we live amongst a generation and a culture that's, that wants to bring us low. That wants to, oh, we have an enemy that is very craftily scheming against us so that he can, that he can divide the church, that he can bring her low, that he can, that he can destroy our reputation. We didn't have one to begin with. You can't destroy my reputation. I never had one to begin with. I've got his reputation, which is a great blessing. Because I don't have a reputation to protect. Verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more that Egypt tried to push them down, the more Egypt tried to, to bring them low. I love this. The more they multiplied. Here's the hand of God straight away. What we're going to see uh, is although they will be afflicted, and although they will undergo much oppression and affliction and, and trials and hardship, they're right where God wants them, but God hasn't left them and abandoned them there. God's in it. He's right there in it. His hand is working. How many times down through history have uh, uh, kingdoms and, and, and generations set themselves against the church and set themselves against God's people, trying to wipe them out? For those that walked with us through the Revelation series, we unpacked how Rome tried to wipe out the church. And the more Rome intensified the persecution, the greater the church grew. the hand of God. It's the God factor. It's where we stand back and go, everything from the natural says that Egypt should have succeeded, Rome should have succeeded, but they didn't because of the God factor. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. The Egyptians are starting to get a little bit uneasy. It's time to ramp things up. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly, now they're intensifying. That word ruthlessly there means to, to intentionally make life bitter, which is what is unpacked for us in these verses. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. There are places on the earth today, there are places on this planet, and they are trying to do it right here in Western society now to make life bitter for the church. We are right on the line now, just waiting for a government with enough nous and gusto to stand up and say it's illegal for what, half of what we say from behind the pulpit. We're on the verge right now here in Western society that we're going to have a government to stand up and say half of what we declare from here is illegal and we'll lock you up if you say it. There are countries where that's not even in question. There are countries where if you preach the gospel, they'll lock you up and throw away the key. We don't experience that here now, but that could be our tomorrow, friends. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves and it doesn't stop there. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other one Pua, we're going to come back to these ladies in a moment. Uh, wow, what a testimony these guys have got. 
When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. What's happening here? Well, we will do whatever is in our power to get rid of God's people. And we're going to flick this to the individual in a moment when we start to talk about Moses. But can we, for a moment, just press the pause button and imagine what this would sound like in today's world? In today's world, this is akin to one of our government leaders standing up and saying, if you're a Christian and you give birth to a son, sometimes we read these things and we just keep going and think, oh yeah, that's, that was bad. But imagine if that was a reality today. These are dark days for Israel. From a bird's eye view, or to bring it into the today's world, from a drone's eye view, you actually need a pilot's license to drive a drone, but you don't to fly a bird, that's interesting. From today's world, if if we were looking from a... You would say, you know what, all of the promises of God are under threat here. Surely Egypt will succeed. Surely... Israel will be wiped out. Surely they will suppress all of God's people. Surely this is the end of Israel. Surely if you look, all those promises that God made to Abraham, all those things about a land that was prepared, all those things about a father of a multitude and and, and as the grains of sand on the seashore, all of those things, surely that's all under threat right now. And maybe that's what they're saying about the church today. That's what the surveys are trying to reveal. People are doing survey after survey after survey. Well, the church is in decline. The church has become irrelevant. There's no voice in the church. Science has all the answers. But they have forgotten what Pharaoh forgot, the God factor. It doesn't matter what programs we institute. It doesn't matter how fancy the buildings are. It doesn't matter how weird the guys are that come from Tasmania. It doesn't matter what you do. If you haven't got the God factor, you've got nothing. And many people are forecasting dark days for the church. Many people are saying that the church is being brought low. Many people are saying that the church is in decline. I prefer to use the word refine today. What sort of people should we be? I think there's a trumpet that God is blowing in the church today. We get an example. You know what? In dark days, what do we do? When everybody reckons there's darkness, when everything looks like God's promises are under threat, what kind of lives should we live? Well, two midwives showed us. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Now, Pharaoh confronts them. But listen to verse 20. You come down to verse 20. It says, so God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strongly. If there is a message to the people of God today, it is the message for us to conduct our lives in the fear of God. Just like these midwives. And and I know we're coming off the back of COVID and mandates and all that. And I don't want to go down that path today. And many people wanted to get the AK-47s and storm parliament. I, I get all of that. But for a moment, 
for a moment, we ask ourselves the question, how do we live in these times? And these ladies show us. And the fear of God, I think this is best displayed for us in the life of a little Hebrew boy by the name of Daniel. You see, Daniel was only in his teens when he gets taken to exile into Babylon. And I love chapter 1, verse 8 of Daniel. It says, Daniel resolved. What does that mean? He says, before he even gets to Babylon, he's made up his mind what he's going to do. Before you even, before I even get into the king's house, that's where he was. Daniel, this little teenager boy, 16 at best. Oh, we need some young people like this. 16 at best, who was placed in the charge of the eunuchs. Now, if your boss is a eunuch, chances are you're a eunuch. And all the men just cross their legs. Who know what that means? But chapter 1, verse 8 says that Daniel had resolved not to defile himself. And the minute you make those resolves, doesn't God test it? Because the minute he makes that resolve, he has to eat at the king's table. Now, how many people, if we were Daniel, how many of us would be thinking, oh, yeah, I deserve this. I've been taken out of my homeland. Now, he's been taken to a place. There's no temple. There's no sacrifices. Israel will learn to worship God no matter their circumstances. Greatest season, I think, for the people of God was right there. But but Daniel, in this moment, says, you know what? I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to eat the meat from the king's table, although it's some of the best meat you'll find. I'm not going to eat the meat from the king's table because it's been sacrificed to these gods that I don't know. So he says, I'm just going to eat veggies. I'm paraphrasing for you. No kale. But but he's, he's immediately met with a problem, isn't he? Because his boss says, well, you know what? If you turn up to Nebuchadnezzar, and you're not as strong as these other guys. It's both our heads. We're, we're done. He, he makes a deal. He says, you know what? Give us 10 days. If we're any less stronger than these other guys, then we'll eat your meat. And of course, we know the story that, in fact, they were stronger than the guys that were eating the meat. And what I love about that passage there is it shows us how to conduct our lives in a very evil place according to the fear of God. Why? Because Daniel wasn't openly aggressive. He didn't, he didn't storm in before Nebuchadnezzar and go, I'm not eating your food. Those would have been the last words he said. In fact, I don't think he would have finished the sentence as his head's rolling down the stairs. So Daniel wasn't aggressive, but Daniel wasn't passive either. God's people are not called to be passive. We're not called to be suppressed and oppressed. We're called to lay down what I call straight stick. He lived a life that just laid down a straight stick and said, you know what, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to live. If I'm in Babylon, this is how I'm going to live. If I, wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, this is how I'm going to live. And he never bent. He just says, this is the way I'm going to live. He had a fear for God. And if you read the story of Daniel uh, and his three mates, it's a great story. But what we learn right now is that although the people of God seem as though they're in dark days and all the promises of God are under threat. We see the hand of God. God dealt well with the midwives and everybody multiplied and grew. I have great hope for the church. 
I have great hope for God's people because history tells me, my Bible tells me and history tells me that no attempt on God's people has ever succeeded because of the God factor. That's not all this morning. Before we go any further, uh, before we finish today, I just want to give you a tidbit. Some people label me, correctly by the way, this is not an incorrect label, some people label me as a rat bag and I think you're right. But by the time we finish today, I'm going to take a little bit of comfort out of that because I think there's a little bit of rat bag in God. And I'm going to I'll highlight why at the end. Chapter 2. Now we bring this down to... We've had a look at the people of God. But now there's a guy by the name of Moses. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. That is an enormously profound verse. That's not for today. That's for about chapter 6. Okay. Uh, if you're wondering who was Moses' mum, it was Jochebed. But we'll get there later. That is a really powerful verse. But that's, that's a sermon for another, for another day. Verse 2. Uh, the, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Why is she hiding him? Because of Pharaoh's edict. <laughs> because all the sons were supposed to be wiped out. Verse 3. And when she could hide him no longer. I mean, there's a point where you can't hide these guys. When she could hide him no longer, she took him. She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it in bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. You see, Pharaoh's edict was just to throw all the sons in the Nile. She doesn't necessarily disobey, but she does it her way. Verse 5, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to Britain. Now here we're introduced to those words that just so happened. If we pause for a moment, here is God's deliverer. We know this from hindsight right now, but here is God's deliverer. And his mum takes him, puts him in a basket, places him on the Nile. Now, most of us don't need much of an imagination to know what the Nile consists of. I mean, there are fish in the Nile that I'm not happy to catch, let alone the crocodiles. Let alone the fact that this river becomes an enormous torrent and dumps itself before it dumps itself into the ocean. I mean, what hope is there really for this young baby? What, what possible hope is there uh, in any way, shape or form? Uh, his mum sees that he's a fine child, which is what my mum would say. Everybody said amen. And she hit him. My mum wished she had done that. But seeing he was a fine child, seeing that God had his hand, how do you see that in the first three months? And she places him on the Nile, and here's this helpless three-month-old baby on the Nile. You know, life feels like that Nile sometimes. Life, for many of us, could feel like we're stuck in a basket and we're susceptible to all the dangers around us. And maybe we would look at a situation like this from the outside looking in and go, what possible hope is there for this young boy? And maybe we look at our own circumstances. Maybe we're looking at our own life. Maybe we think we've moved too far down the path and God's done with us. By the way, just a snapshot of where we're going. God calls Moses at the age of 80. Any 80, don't put your hands up. Any 80 year old here today, God is yet to call you. Maybe. 
So you're never too old, but uh, although we may think we're past it, I love how this happens. It just so happened, I've put those words in, it just so happened that the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child. It just so happened that she beheld the baby, was crying, and it just so happened that the daughter of Pharaoh will take pity on this little Hebrew boy. It just so happened. When all the other Egyptians are happy to toss them into the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter says, I'll take... How does she explain this to Dad? This is not like bringing a cat home. <laughs> that decision's easy. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. This is one of the Hebrews' children. This gets better. It just so happened, it gets better. (laughs) Verse 7, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, this is Miriam, by the way, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. Just so happened that the one they call is Moses' mum. And it just so happens that they're going to pay Moses' mum to nurse Moses in the house of Pharaoh. Remember when I said there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of rat bag in God? Uh, Can we just pause for a moment long enough to comprehend what God has just done? God has just placed Israel's deliverer in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh will educate Moses. Pharaoh will look after him. If that's not a little bit of rat bag. What we've just read are two instances where the people of God seem to be in dark days. And we read the story of a a little boy by the name of Moses who seems to be in dark days, but what we read is how God is in it. We read about the God factor, because if you remove God out of this story, a little baby floats down the river, and we don't hear about it anymore. I'm going to ask Karen to come and play as we finish this morning, and I want to talk. uh, When I was reading through this, I, I just couldn't get my mind away from... Fast-forwarding many hundreds and a few thousand years. We heard about it over communion this morning, but there was another dark day in history, right? There was a day in history where the Son of God was on the cross. And I couldn't get away from thinking about that situation because... For everybody that was watching that, all of his disciples thought, this is over. The high priest thought, finally, it's over. I've got rid of this guy. Well, if only he had known. Jesus said to that high priest, by the way, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. He was talking to the high priest when he said that. Caiaphas saw that. Everybody standing at the foot of that cross looked. And what they saw was, it's over. Everybody's thinking, these are dark days. We even read passages like the sun was turned to darkness. Rock splits. But you know what? 
when the Son of God was on that cross, his blood dripping from the beams, God was right in it. You fast forward to the book of Acts in chapter 2, it says the same thing. And in chapter 4, it says the same thing. The disciples are praying in chapter 4 of Acts and they say, O sovereign God who arranged, you arranged Pontius Pilate, you arranged Herod, you arranged the high priest. All of these things came together at one point in time, but you orchestrated them, God. And you were right in it. Oh, what a difference three days make everybody looked at that cross and said it's over the women on Easter morning were taking the spices to finish preparing the body they thought it's over they forgot the God factor imagine turning up to the tomb and the stones being rolled away a two and a half ton stone rolled slightly uphill The God factor. I don't know what your story is here this morning. I, I, I don't know what's happening. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I've been a Christian for many years. I've had my chance. I've blown it so many times. God had never used me again. That's not the story for Moses. That wasn't the story for the people of God. God, was prepared, God had prepared them a place already. God had already set the boundaries of Canaan. God had already set the boundaries of the promised land. And he's done the same for you. And you know what? Sometimes there are moments and there are seasons in our life that seem just like the people of God. Dark days. But God's in it. Bringing about his glory. Bringing about his work and his purpose it if well it is I was about to say if the life of the people of God here was a book which it is you, you turn the page now because another chapter is about to begin and maybe that's you today maybe God's saying to you you know what I, whatever's happened now he's, he's putting his finger and he's turning the page yeah, but I've got a whole new chapter for you Because no matter what people have said about you and no matter how much you may have even written yourself off, maybe you forgot the God factor today. I'm going to close in prayer in a moment. But Karen's just going to continue to play softly this morning and if you need prayer, then we'd love to pray with you. Father, I thank you. Jesus, that Easter morning displays for every one of us exactly what the God factor means. When everybody saw defeat on the cross, when everybody thought the promises of God were over, when everybody thought there was no hope and there was only darkness, they forgot the God factor. Three days later, the tomb would be empty. 
Father, wherever we are today, whatever our immediate circumstances look like, I want to thank you that you're in it. I want to thank you that you don't leave us, you don't abandon us, you don't forsake us. And you never, you never give up on us. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray that as we continue to unfold the story of your people Israel, that you would also continue to unfold our story. In your wonderful name, Father, we pray this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.